wonderful morning it has been to be able to gather here with such beautiful weather outside, come inside and then get to sing praises to God, one of the beautiful hymns that we have sang this morning, and to be able to partake of the Lord's Supper, and also to be able to give. For those of you who are visiting with us, what we've been doing through the past several months is studying the book of 1 Corinthians in preparation for our young people in the Bible Bowl. And as you and I think about this great book of 1 Corinthians, I think it's important to realize this was a struggling congregation. But the truth is, which congregation doesn't struggle? We have congregations that struggle with people who may believe things they ought not to believe. We have congregations that have serious moral problems within them. And yet, each of these churches appear to have some opportunity for potential if the brethren have the right attitude. And I believe the church at Corinth had some great potential to do some good. And there are some directions given to the church here at Corinth which provide a pattern for those of us who live today. In other words, we learn from the Apostle Paul in chapter 11 about the Lord's Supper. And just a few moments ago, that's what we participated in. We also learn a little bit about how we ought to give and some of the details with regards to it. Well, this is going to deal with a very sensitive subject. And I say that uh, some may think I'm joking, but it's not, a sen- it, it's not a subject that should be sensitive, but it is. Because when you start talking about people and their money, people often get very uncomfortable in talking about it. When you try to mention the importance of our giving and giving as God has prospered us, then people sometimes feel um, that they are being lectured to. And what you and I want to do this morning is to take the scriptures and let it provide the direction for us. Here's what we're going to do as we study chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 and the collection for the saints. Then we're going to pick up with verse 15, or verse 5 going through verse 12. And we're going to look at Paul's talking about coming for a visit. And then finally some closing thoughts in verses 13 through 24. Let's begin our study here. If you'll open your Bibles, let's start with verses 1 through 4 of chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear the gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now, the first thing that you will notice is Paul's phrase, now concerning. I know I have mentioned it several times in the lessons over the past few weeks. That phrase, now concerning, goes all the way back to chapter 7 and verse 1. And they had written Paul with a number of specific and direct questions. They wanted to know, what about a situation where you have a Christian married to a non-Christian? They wanted to know about things that had been sacrificed to idols. Is it permissible to eat them or not? They wanted to know about uh, the resurrection of the dead. They wanted to know about the Lord's Supper. And it appears that these brethren also have some more questions. What about 
the contribution. And there's so many questions that can come to our minds. When do we give? Why do we give? How do we give? How much do we give? All of these are questions which Paul will address in these first four verses. I want you to notice that, first of all, there's a a question that's been raised by many people. Was this just a special occasion where they gave and they didn't take a contribution each week? Or was it for just a specific purpose, just for the needy saints at Jerusalem? And that's the only reason why you would have a contribution well, if you will, notice with me 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 12 through 15. He said, For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints. Now, I could just stop right there for a moment. It not only provides for that, but it also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. There's more to this than just the needy saints in Jerusalem. This contribution is going to serve other purposes as well. But there were needy saints in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 and 26. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. There were brethren there who needed help. There were Gentile brethren in Macedonia and Achaia said, We want to give, Paul. Give us an opportunity to give. And so that's what the purpose of this was. But I need to point out to you that this is universal in application. It's not just to the churches of Macedonia and Achaia who were wanting to give for those needy saints. But he says, As I gave orders to the churches, plural, of Galatia, So you must do also. You see, they were not a part of Macedonia and Achaia. They were a long ways off. And so the truth is, is that it doesn't matter whether it's in Tennessee or Galatia or in Achaia or Macedonia. These teachings apply to everyone at all times. But now the question comes up, when? When are we to give? And he says, upon the first day of the week. Someone says, well, is that when God expects us to give? And absolutely it is. Because that's when the church met together in an assembly. You go back to Acts 20, verse 7. And Luke records, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. You see, this morning we met together around the table here. Partake of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the fruit of the vine. That's why the church comes together, part of it. And he says, when the church comes together, that's a perfect time for those of us to give. But then he said, let each one of you lay something aside. When he says, let each one of you, he's making it an individual obligation. If I'm a Christian, it's my obligation to give. I know there's a lot of people who may think, Well, there's people who are in a much better position to give than I am. But this is not just for the rich. Oh, there's a debate going on in our society today about let's let the rich pay all the taxes. Let's let the rich do this. Let's let the rich do that. I want to point out to you, biblically, all of us are to give because that is an obligation that God has placed upon each 
and every one of us, not just if we're rich. But someone says, but that's not fair. The Bible teaches that we give as we're prospered. We're going to talk about that in a little bit more. But he says, not storing up, not laying aside at home because that would involve a collection. Paul says, I don't want there to be any collections made when I come. If you and I put the money at home and then we bring it when Paul came, then there would be a collection made when he came. And thus, you have the authority for a treasury where the money is kept collected together when uh, the need would arise. But then he said, as he may prosper. And thus, it's in proportion to what we make or what we have profited that week. That means if I have profited little, then I'm able to give a little. If I profit more, I'm able to give more. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what a man has and not according to what he does not have. I want you to understand, God is not expecting us to give what we do not have. If you and I have not prospered this week, then we give on the basis of how we've been prospered. But if we've not been prospered, then there's nothing there to give. On the other hand, if we have prospered, then we have an obligation to give. But then there's that point that's in the first part of verse 1. For if there first is a willing mind. There's got to be this desire on our part to give, that we want to give. In chapter 9, verses 5 and 7 of Second Corinthians, For I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you have previously promised that it might be a matter of generosity and not grudging obligation. And then verse 7, so let each one gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's got to be a willing mind, a cheerful gift, because we want to give. That's what God expects out of us. But then Paul obviously recognizes there's a concern for the integrity of the funds that have been contributed if they, over a year's time, which is going to be, if you read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, this money that has been collected for the needy saints is going to be a large sum of money. It's going to come from the churches of Achaia and going to come from the churches of Macedonia. And so the question will arise, what will we do to make sure that this money is used properly? Well, there will be some who will be chosen to travel with it. Paul will speak about those who will travel by letter with it. When you get to 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 21, providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. That is, is that you and I make sure that it's all handled properly. God knows, but God wants everybody to know that it's handled properly. We ought to be thankful for our eldership here. Ever since I've been here, there have been financial statements that have been printed on a quarterly basis that are provided for the congregation. At any time, any member can go to the treasurer, Brother Stanley in this case, and say to him, we want to know how the money is used. And they'll be glad to provide that information for you. Providing for things honorable. 
And so when people give, they know that the money is being given and being handled correctly. But the second thing that we observe in this passage is Paul is coming for a visit. In verses 5 through 12, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia. For I'm passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, when he he will come when he has a convenient time. You see, Paul had plans to visit the brethren at Corinth. Well, there were other people needing him as well. Quite often we feel that when our needs are there that they should rise to the top. But Paul says, no, there's some things that are more necessary at this point. He also wanted to have an extended stay with them. If we study the book of Acts and we read chapter 18, we realize Paul spent a period of 18 months with the brethren at Corinth. He's now going to come back through and he wants to spend... He said, if the Lord permits the winter with them, I suppose, and it is just a supposition, that Paul realized there's a lot of things that need his attention. As we've studied through the book of 1 Corinthians, all the way from chapter 5 and following, and the problem of disagreements and divisions and difficult teachings that they were dealing with, they needed Paul's attention. And he didn't want it to be just a a quick pass through and fail to deal with the questions that they might would have. But there was another matter. He was presently occupied with an opportunity at Ephesus. He said, an open door has been provided to me. There's an opportunity. I want you to imagine, if you will, here's a, a man who's going to preach the gospel somewhere. And when he arrives at a church and he's planning on being at another one later, but here he has an opportunity to teach people. Is he going to leave a good opportunity to go to another one without fulfilling that one? But when I read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I realize this wasn't the only opportunity that Paul had on this same journey. He said in 2 Corinthians 2.12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. If you're looking at the western coast of the country of Turkey today, you'll see Ephesus down about halfway. And then you'll go north, you'll go north, and you'll follow along that coastline. You'll come to the Osos, and then you'll finally come to Troas. A few years ago, we made that journey up the coast of Turkey there and went to the city of Troas. And here's Paul now, after he's left Ephesus, he comes to Troas and there's another open door. What a wonderful privilege it is when you arrive at a place and people want to hear the gospel. 
you start saying, maybe our investment in preaching is doing some good because the Lord's opening some doors. I think about the giving, and then I think about people like Paul saying, when I go further after I leave you, I want you to help me go on my journey there. That's a good thing being done. There were others who would come and others who would not be coming, at least at the present. It talks about Timothy coming. And Timothy's going to come and Paul's concerned that they treat him properly. And the reason why he's concerned about them treating him properly is likely because Timothy's a young man. Young men often have difficulty in being respected because people believe their age allows them not to have as much experience and have as much opportunities. And Paul said, but if Timothy comes, he said, he's doing the same work I'm doing. Receive him. Treat him well. In fact, he goes on to talk about other things. But then he talks about Apollos. Paul says, I I really encouraged Apollos to come to you. But he said, he's not coming now. In fact, he'll come later when it's convenient season. Could it be perhaps that Apollos, like Paul, had an open door? He couldn't walk off and leave brethren who were interested in learning and growing in the faith. But these were not just personal visits. But these were for the building up of the church. When you read 1 Corinthians 16, and you read about these men going from city to city, and they're carrying the gospel with them, don't think it's just a pleasure trip. There are pleasure trips, and they're okay. But these are for the teaching and the preaching of the gospel. That brings me to the longest section, but we're not going to spend as much time here, is the closing thoughts in verses 13 through 24. Watch, stand fast, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus. Fortinus. Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part, they supplied. For they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The salutation of my own hand. Pauls, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you in all Christ Jesus. Amen. Now the thing that Paul stresses here is to be watchful, to be strong, and to be brave. Watchful. The church at Corinth had all the problems they could handle. They didn't need any more. They needed to watch out for the devil and for the temptations he would provide before them. And so, watch out. 
But then he says, be strong. Be strong. Sometimes it's a challenge to face difficulties and say, we're not going that way. It sometimes requires a lot of conviction for a person to stand up and then be brave and say, here's what the Lord says, this is what we're going to do in the face of others who want to do other things. But he encouraged them to show love in everything they did. Everything. You know, even when you and I are facing difficult circumstances, we've got to let people know that we love them. Even when we have to confront people, we let them know we love them. Because that's our motivation. I think about what Paul said in chapter 13, verse 1. He said, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm just making noise if I don't have love. But one of the things I guess perhaps I had overlooked in studying this passage numerous times is the importance of submitting to those who do the work of the Lord. He talked about the household of Stephanus. And he talked about others. And he said, those who do the work of the Lord, submit to them. Now that sounds pretty strong. Those who are preaching the gospel. But you're not submitting to Paul. You're not submitting to Stephanus or others because of who they are. You're submitting to them because they're bringing God's word. When a man teaches the truth, regardless of who he is, we need to listen to what is said and do it, not because of the messenger, but because the message is derived from God. I think about the prophets of the Old Testament. When they came preaching God's message, they were expected to be listened to and obeyed. And thus, as you and I, we're, whoever is here preaching, and we're studying about lying, we're studying about cheating, we're studying about any other kind of sin, we have to listen and submit, again, not because of the messenger, but because of the message that was delivered. And thus, he provides greetings, like Aquila and Priscilla, those that are meeting in the church in their home. But he's going to end with two last things. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. If you're reading the original King James, you see the word anathema there. This word means to be accursed of God. You don't love the Lord, you're going to die spiritually. But then he says something that follows that. O Lord, come. Again, if you're reading the original King James, you'll see the word Maranatha. And that's that one word which means, O Lord, come. And when you think about it, O Lord, come. I read a post this morning on Facebook. And it said, if the Lord were to come this morning, how would he find you? I know the person posting that was thinking about people who may not be planning on attending services. 
And I thought, I'm going to use that in the sermon this morning. If the Lord were to come this morning in the time of this service, how would He find you? How would He find me? Would I be ready to be ushered into the pearly gates or should I expect to burn into everlasting darkness? Too many people today are seeking creative ways to finance the church. Some people are having yard sales and bake sales and car washes and all kinds of money schemes. And God's plan was for the church to be financed by the members giving freely. And when they do, the gospel is able to go forth. 3 John verses 5 through 8. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. That's what it's all about is working to make sure that the Lord's word is carried out into all the world. That's the reason why we give so that the Lord's church can carry the gospel into all the world. And everything you and I do, according to Colossians 3.17, should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's been a privilege to be a part of the Lord's services this morning. But it would not be complete without our extending the Lord's invitation to anyone who needs to obey the gospel. I'm sure in our audience we have those who need to obey the gospel. The teaching of our Lord is very simple, very plain, very clear. You have to believe that He is the Son of God. John tells us in John 20, verses 30 and 31, that there are many things that are written in this book. There's even many more, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in His name. He calls on men to repent of their sins, to say, I'm sorry for the life I've lived, and I want to live a different life now. As Paul would say it in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Then for man to confess his faith, as the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37, and then to be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. When the people cried out in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter's response was, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That means if you do that, the Lord takes all your sins away. You come up out of that water totally, completely forgiven. And verse 47 of Acts 2, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We also recognize that among us, like there was among the Corinthians, there may be those of us who have sins in our lives that are Christians. And our merciful God looks and calls us back home, just like He did the prodigal son. We learn from Luke 15 that there's more joy in the presence of the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety and nine who need no repentance. God calls us home as well. We're going to sing the song, There's a Fountain Free. If you wish to become a Christian or come back home, the invitation is yours as we together we stand and sing.